0: This Future CEOs conversation is brought to you by Careers24, Careers24 careers24.com, get a career you can be proud of.
1: Future CEOs on cliffcentral.com. What are we talking about here in this particular session? Why are you guys here great companies? What makes a great company and what are great companies and what do great companies of the future look like? Many of you will be managers or own your own businesses. So welcome, we're glad to have you, but I'm going to say more than being happy to have you guys here, I'm happy to have my co-host, Lube and Boyer, and then, of course, our panel. Shall we go around and get, like we do in the studio, yes. and get them to introduce themselves? Yes. Cheryl, would you, let's start with you. Welcome to future CEOs, welcome to this career advancement panel discussion.
2: Okay, hi everyone. My name is Cheryl, and I'm the head of HR at PPS. I'm here because Gareth somehow convinced me to be here <laughs> but yes i hope to share a little bit of insights with you in terms of what makes a great company wonderful wonderful thank you cheryl carolyn hi everybody
3: um i'm carolyn blunden and i'm currently in a global hr role with anglo-american
0: awesome Very
1: nice. and then finally you're no stranger to future ceos lee welcome I, I get, we have to say welcome back not welcome back into studio but welcome back Introduce yourself, please. Well, I was having
4: my lunch across the road, and uh, <laughs> I got a call from Garrett Said, do you want to come over? So,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that was actually that's... a call saying, Lee, where are you? <laughs> I got
4: to pay my bill and come over. So my name is Lee Nike, and I head up Accenture's digital business. So all things new and
1: exciting and scary, that's my stuff. Fantastic. Libby, you want to kick us off with the power pack
0: question? Great companies. Do they still exist? What makes for a great company?
2: The myths, the real talk and is it the place that we want to be? What makes a great company? I think there's many things that make a great company, but we have to make sure that it's not a one size fits all. Correct. So the big thing is that when I welcome the new staff, I say, our job as HR is never done. We can never just sit back and say, we've got all the answers, we've got it together, because every day is changing. What one person wants on one day And two months later, they want something completely different. So it's about staying in tune with your employees, making sure there's space for them to be able to communicate, to be able to share their views, and just constantly staying in tune with what it is that makes them tick and gives them that spring in their step. Carolyn, when you were on our show, you
1: you weren't working for Anglo-American, you were in the recruitment space, so so you really have quite a nice perspective on all of this. This idea of things changing so rapidly, you were in a space where you had to place people in sometimes organizations that were changing very rapidly, maybe some uh, organization like Accenture Digital. Talk us through your experience of these organizations that appear attractive but actually aren't.
3: Yeah, I think for me that there's lots of sexy flavors of the day. So we talk about innovation hubs, digital, everything that's nice and sexy. And I think there's a responsibility on all companies to remain current. So even look in our political context, look look at what's happened globally, Brexit, look at what's happening in America, look at what's happening in our own country. And for me as an HR practitioner around what makes companies sexy is, are we agile enough? Are we keeping up with what's happening in our broader context and that goes far beyond innovation. It's really around that individual. Does the individual feel valued? Are their contributions valued? Do they feel that they listen to? Do they see opportunities in terms of growth? And so I think they're key lessons for companies around how do they stay relevant. I, I like that. Relevance
1: over this idea of the, the sexy, overused term of innovation. I, I, I do like that. Do you have a comment on, on that point, Lee? Well, I think the entire landscape is changing. And I think for us to
4: drive our relevance as organisations. We need to be cognizant that the workforce is changing. What's interesting yes. to know is that by 2020, more than 60% of the workforce will be millennials. 2020? So 2020. That's just around the corner. That's right, right? And that's around the corner. So the reality is that the organization that your grandfather and your father and I worked in is irrelevant in the context of a millennial. Correct. What appeals to me as Lee Ike and to you, Gareth, has no relevance in the eyes of a millennial. In fact, I would go up to say that from an HR perspective, millennials don't want more money. They want better balance in their life. They want to catch a beer at 5 o'clock with their mates, right? So we challenge all the orthodoxies of what an employee value proposition is. A millennial
0: doesn't want to sit in traffic half of their time. Yeah, for sure. They don't want to necessarily be in an office and work. You know, they're going to work from their iPad in Hawaii or something like that. Man,
1: you're describing the work that I want to do. (laughs) Now, now, I do have job applications for you guys later.
0: Yes! Ah, good.
1: good. But, but
4: an interesting story is that I've worked for Accenture for 19 years. Wow. Well, I've tried to get a job, but it, it hasn't worked well for me, so I've been there for a long time. And the reason why I'm with Accenture is because of its people. We've gotten over the points about the hardware, the clients, but ultimately, if you have great people, then you stick around. Now what's interesting, in the last two years, I've had to build a brand new business called Accenture Digital. Now, what's been scary for me is that everything I knew about why I joined Accenture has changed. So when I joined Accenture, I'd have a science degree, accounting, engineering.
1: My guys have no degrees, and that's really cool. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Are you saying that a brand like Accenture is employing people that have no degrees? So some of
4: my guys are millennials. I have a team I grew in the last year, 75 people, half of them have never done consulting. Some of they've gone to design schools, their matriculants, their university dropouts. In fact, everything about the old way of working Correct. is bad for the new way of thinking. So that. So here, yeah, I'm bringing in that's, youngsters with a different perspective phrase. to say, Lee, you're wrong. We walk up to CEOs, and where have you seen a 20-year-old meeting a CEO to tell them you're wrong? And we now allow that, because that new perspective is what will help organizations drive their relevance in a new world. You can't try, you know, old tricks in a new context like Brexit for example.
1: So uh, it's easy to say this about a digital player, yep. PPS is a bit of a different animal, mining, Anglo-American is a different animal, and, uh, let's get some perspectives from you guys as well.
2: So, I mean, from our perspective, yes, financial services is not the most sexy <laughs> industry to be in, but uh, you know, in this day and age, information is so readily available. So people can literally just go onto Google and search something and be able to challenge whatever it is without having a degree, without having any sort of training or experience. And I think it's about, again, creating the space for people to be able to do that. Mm. Making it a safe space for people to be able to not feel diminished or criticized if they actually challenge a point or ask a question.
3: Yeah, I've got a slightly different angle on it. It's not uh, from the point of view of fun or sexy, I think what you were describing is empowerment. Yes. And that is something that, if we say what makes a good company great, is really where people play in position. That people are entitled and able to take up their space. They're entitled, able to ask the difficult questions. And I think that is, you know, you don't just have to work at Accenture Digital. It can be also in more of your state, uh, more or less Fun roles, yeah. careers. Oh, you're yeah. beautifully.
4: I need to add something. I think the point is that with the context of a tough fiscal environment, a context of Brexit, we are moving from what we call an output economy to an outcomes economy. No one, cares, no one cares how you do it. They care what you do and what you deliver. So if I could help this organization drive their top line growth or find the next place where the gold is hidden under the ground, that's an outcome I want to achieve. How I get there matters less. How I look, how my team looks, their hairstyles, their tattoos, who really cares if I'm achieving the outcomes we want as an organization and as a society. So I think your point is, re- is absolutely important, important in that it takes all sorts, like a bag of licorice, different contexts, different inputs to challenge the status quo. Things are changing and the ideas are coming from a variety of places. Right? So
0: Lee, uh, Carolyn, Cheryl, if you weren't in the positions that you are in right now, where would you work? Where would be your dream company to work for? Cliff Central. Uh,
1: huh? Ha that's a, that's, a really okay. that's a really good answer.
0: Good answer. Ladies, what, what would did we answer in here, yeah, sorry? Cliff Central. Is it Cliff Central. Oh, okay. <laughs> where would you like to work? Which company would you like
3: to work for? Is that is that the option? I have to work. Oh. 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 I love it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> for me, I don't think it's about the industry. Yeah. I think that the more we get exposed to global... Yeah. the more as South Africans for me it's exciting I want to work in an environment where we can deliver best practice where we can deliver what is leading but be very relevant to our local context Love it. I want to work in an environment where leaders stick to their knitting yeah. where they do leadership and stay out of the weeds the, the yeah. where people are allowed to make mistakes okay? and where we can be authentic it mm. doesn't matter what you look or sound like or the fact that you have a tattoo on your wrist but really, what are those solutions that you're able to drive? Diversifying. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Transformation.
2: Yes. So for me, I wouldn't want to name drop any companies, but I would be looking for a company that's aligns to what my purpose is. So as long as I can work in an environment where my values are aligned, and I wake up every day knowing that I have a purpose to fulfill, I think that's the, the kind of company that I would look to to work at.
1: So I want to go to the audience then. I mean, of course, what are we doing here as we speak? We're actually asking questions. The questions are implied in the statements. And so to all of you who are managing, are you supplying an environment like Carolyn is asking for, where she can feel a certain way? What are the values that you are driving in your organization? These are the, the questions that we must be all asking and, and answering on an ongoing basis. I think that's why they're sitting in these hot seats, because they are able to do that. We want questions. This questions. Is a, this is an interactive discussion. So here we go. We have a roaming mic.
5: Introduce yourself, beautiful lady. Okay. Hi, everyone. My name is Didi, and I'm a mining engineer at one of the mining companies in Rasterberg. And my question is directed at Caroline, if I may.
3: Okay, Caroline. Make it easy. Okay, (laughs) I'll try.
5: (laughs) My question is there's a lot of talk about having, for instance, women in mining, a lot of women empowerment, but I feel most companies are not doing a lot to retain the talent that they have because you get a lot of graduates thing, one year in one company, moving on to the other one, and you never really get to have um, the value that you, you, you expect out of them, and you lose a lot of talent in the process. I've been in my company for six years, mostly due to loyalty and the fact that I love mining, but I, I feel it's not the same for everyone, and most of the other companies are not doing the same.
3: I think that that's a, a very valuable question, and mm. I think there's a whole lot of different ways that I want to answer, because you touch on so many points. I think that as organizations, we're not dynamic enough in terms of looking at things systemically. So instead of being reactive around just saying, uh, what's your female representation, what's happening around headcounts, but really are we starting to look in terms of what the individual wants, what's happening within the team, what's happening within the broader context of the organization, as well as what's happening within society. So we see lots of things around women in mining, women in leadership, we understand that it's a big drive. But how does that affect everything in terms of that whole cycle? What happens around education? What happens about the branding with mining? What happens with when you look at recruitment practices? Do people tend to recruit people that are more like themselves? Or are they wanting to drive an environment of transformation? that's bring people who are different. Mm-hmm. So I think also I... I'm saying as well with HR, our HR practices, our people practices, and I heard somebody saying earlier about HR moving away, and we've spoken about this for years. HR cannot be the must-stop behaving like the referee, but in terms of the, the numbers that we're looking at, what's happening with millennials, what is the requirement, organization's dynamic, not having preconceived ideas, how do we now challenge ourselves around that talent retention? How do we do real career development? How do we open up opportunities globally? Also because the things uh, around female, uh, if you look in the mining industry, are globally relevant. And
1: organizations are flattening. The the doors are opening for communication. And so we're allowed to go into an organization and challenge the way that, that things are run, are we not? Do you allow that in your organizations? And surely that's part of what makes a great organization as well. So from a feedback perspective, Lee, you've spoken about that, you've said that there's People can challenge you in your organisation.
4: Yeah. So, so back in the day, there should be something called a CLM, a career limiting move. Uh, ah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> you know,
0: right? Love some it. Us,
1: some of us know what those are. Uh, yeah, so,
4: Gareth had a few CLMs in his career, <laughs> right? and now he's in radio.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: but I guess the reality is that CLMs have fallen away. The enabling environment mm-hmm. one that's conducive to driving value. And I guess the point about it's the what versus the how again. Sure. You know, if you forget less about how you arrive at the outcome, the outcome in itself matters. And most organizations, whether in mining or financial services, everyone's looking for the next thing to take us forward, to evolve us. So what you're starting to see is that the KPIs that HR and lines of business put down are starting to move away. Number one, become simpler very focused, and all are linked towards driving value that's perceptive and real in the marketplace.
3: Mm, but Now, that sounds beautiful, but I, I want to say that it doesn't take away from the fact that there's still politics. At the end of the day, in terms of an organization, you can't say everything that you want to say in the manner in which you want to say it. You're going to have to navigate and weave. Absolutely.
4: Mm. Now, some of the simple things, right? So some kids want to drink at work. It's not going to happen at Accenture. However, the point is is actually an important point. How does one navigate? In my organization, I've had to become the sole sponsor in my local leadership team, right, of championing a new way of working. So I've got 75 kids, millennials, Mm -hmm. that have never done this before. I've had to stand up and say, it's okay. I'll give you a simple example. We're very good at integrating people into the firm. So if you had to join us, the form is available at the desk, right? right. right. <laughs> and, and we would actually send you an integration pack before you joined. We'd also give you the dress code policy. Now, the older dress code policy would have a picture of a guy with a shirt untucked, a red X through it. Jeans on, red X. Converse tackies, a red X. But that's everyone that now works for me. So I've had to go to my fellow leaders and say, this is actually okay, mm-hmm. right? The fact that he has tattoos and Converse tackies on is besides the point, and that's cool. We've had to change the fact that we it takes all sorts, and then the enabling policies, the enabling leadership must be there. So when a CEO sees one of my people, look into their eyes and see the value coming out, don't look at their hairstyle or their dress code. Outcomes uh-uh versus output again, Absolutely. As, as you've said. You know the reality, is we, we, we call this back in 2015, a shift from me, 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 to we, we, we. We've got to think in a context of the we economy, where only together can we drive value. You don't have all the answers for your organization. But in combination with the leads that run operations and recruiting and finance, you can achieve so much more. If we think in a bigger context, a bigger picture, we'll achieve so much more.
0: You know, it's so nice that you can actually feel that you have a sense of belonging within the organizational culture of where you spend most of your time and where you do your best work, you know what I mean? So that really makes me feel good, and it's always about growth for me on a personal level. It's opportunities and mentorship. And we always say this on the show that how important it is for the cool places of employment are the places that give access to the people who want it needed any more questions
1: my name is jonas from the question you asked i would just like to know Is a newbie coming into a company and challenging a manager in what way do you approach the, because managers come in a, in a way that you, you are arrogant if you want to change if they've been there in how many years how do you approach it in it in not coming arrogant in that way. Do we have um, some expert input, Cheryl? Cheryl.
2: I I think it's, uh, by no means an expert, but it's something that we have started uh, practicing in in our organization, and the one thing about these things is you've got to be conscious of how you deal with uh, a situation, so the approach that we take is that you can offer your opinion as much as you like, as long as you invite the other person to give their opinion as well. We so, you know, it's a case of um, this is what I believe, this is what I think, how do you feel about that? What is your view on that? And as long as you invite them to come into your space as well, then it becomes a dialogue as opposed to you being arrogant.
1: Is it, I mean, you can also just ask a question. So why does it work like this? Surely that's a, an appropriate way to do it. Well, Carolyn?
3: Well, perhaps um, working on uh, the theme that we output most, um, or solutions-based, to actually focus your feedback on that. So how is the behavior or the policy or the objective interfering with the outputs? And then it's easier for the other person to look at it objectively because you're not coming from a standpoint of me, I, I. You're really saying, you know, we're in this together It's a team. This is the output, and this is what's making me feel uncomfortable, or this is where my concerns are. Yep.
4: If I can add to that, I think one of the ch- this is all perfectly correct points. If a new youngster comes into the organization, clearly you have a point of view because you're out there in the real world experiencing things. In my, in my time with my organization, I've had to work with people that don't get me, and I don't get them either. One of the key things to do is what we call bridge-making, right? Um, if you guys know the analogy of the Tower of Babel, if, if you read the Bible or one of these holy books, they said God created all these different languages, right? To create stop this Tao from being both. Now, if we talk in different languages, we have got to have a common language. So if I talk in a colloquial manner and I talk about ones and zeros, or I talk about periodic table elements, right? And Garrett doesn't get that. You've got to find a common language to talk about. So the KPIs of your big boss is he talks about ROI and ROE and shareholding then try to transfer what you want to talk about in his language. And that creates a platform for a conversation. You can't have a conversation with someone that doesn't understand you. You may as well be talking a different language. So I think common language is key to having conversations between the millennials and the older workforce. By the way,
1: my language is one plus one equals two. <laughs> no periodic table stuff for me. Are you happy? I think there's some really good points there. Please, other questions we'll, we'll take in a moment. I do want us to turn our attention to this idea of People yes. coming through the organisations, yes. Google and Sorry. Amazon. Sorry, people are working in these organisations for less than a year. Yeah, even though there's sleep pods and there's as I mentioned, that, there's, supplies, there's all these cool things. So um, let's
0: ask the question: Why is that? I yeah. mean, it's perceived to be the
2: greatest places in the world to work for,
0: but people are not staying there long.
2: So, uh, so I have a, a view on it that I think if we go back to the earliest, earliest. Research when we're talking about Hertzberg and Maslow, and I know it's really old school, but they, they had a bit of a point. Yeah. Because I think that a lot of those things are the hygiene factors. So while they are great, and you have to have them there, because like if you, if you think of Maslow's hierarchy, he said you have to go to each level before you can get to the final one. And I think it's similar with these hygiene factors. They have to be there before you can get to the self-actualization phase. And those are the things that I think really make people loyal and want to stay. It's the things that are intrinsic. So it's about how can I grow? How can I challenge myself? Correct. Um, You know, what opportunities? How can I I get involved in decision making? Is there a way for me to be um, tackling difficult problems? Those are the things I think that um, would make people want to stay longer. So it's not to say that they don't have that at Google, but I think that the fancy and the Mm. wonderful things that they have, Mm. it's just a temporary thing. And if a better offer comes along that's more exciting and more challenging, and specifically at Google, they employ people around about, I think their age is 29, so those are the millennials that are looking for the next best opportunity or the next challenge to go and tackle. So they will. They'll, they'll want the sexy things, but they will be lured by other opportunities that come their way.
1: Substance over this, this marketing spin that really Yeah, they, I mean,
2: they must be there. They're great, but the focus should be more on the intrinsic things. That's just my view, obviously. I think from my perspective, I see it as positive.
3: Yeah, I think, isn't that the whole purpose of these companies, like your Google, your Amazon? They're springboard to innovation. People feel confident, entrepreneurial, so they will move on. And it's a big uh, thumbs up to those companies. If you have th- the
2: money to sustain it. <laughs> yeah.
3: I think, yeah. I think also we talk about high turnover, but for me as well, to, uh, the other side of the coin is where you have Very low turnover. Mm. That in itself is also problematic if you in an environment where you want to drive digitalization change, uh, where you don't sit with the turnover, where Mm. people are comfortable. Mm. Lily your experience. So can I
4: scare the crowd? Absolutely. Right. There's a piece of research by Oxford University. Uh, it's called the impact of computerization on the future of jobs. We'll tweet it out later, right? Hashtag leaderx. Okay, what this paper talks about is what will happen to all the job types they are. And there are about 710 different jobs that are currently out there. So these really smart people have modeled what would happen to these jobs over a period of time, put in now and say 2030. So here's a scary stat, 47% of all jobs that we know about today will cease to exist. Right? It's not just in mining through mechanization. There are things right now, like law, that's become commoditized right they are internet, Law. Law. internet software programs that are mediating between husband and wives pre-divorce software is doing it right huh so mm. this is the world we live in things that are internet industrialized or prone to repetition yeah. will be automated correct right if you haven't heard of amelia amelia is a robot it's a piece of software. If you call an international contact center, chances are you speaking to a piece of software. She doesn't physically exist. So 47% are actually going to change. So the question is, what's in the 53% and are you in the 47%? Yeah. Everyone's thinking. Nice. So, re- so read the paper. Right? See, I'm starting to sweat here. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> so what's interesting is that Journalists,
1: radio guys, they're good to go, right? Oh, amen. I just have to be really good at my job, and I'm not 100% sure. So, so anyway. what's, what's interesting about the 53% is a yeah. couple
4: of things. One, any job that is not prone to industrialization probably falls into a few categories. One, they're a lot more creative, right? You're yeah. really good at demystifying stuff.
2: That means
4: you don't just hear, you listen. You can interpret it and do something with it, right? Um, You're really good at orchestrating things. Good at planning, pulling stuff together. You're good at translation, right? These are some of the things that make us as humans really good. Correct. So what's gonna happen as you move forward is that jobs that are prone to industrialization will become automated, but don't be scared, right? The reality is that we as humans should be doing higher value tasks. Mm. We should be figuring out what we do with the value. Now, there's a couple of points to take away from this. One, some of these jobs will become commoditized. So what do we do? Number one, figure out whether your job is prone to industrialization over the next 15 years. That creates the burning platform to actually start to create your own change journey. Then start to acquire new skills. Now, why is it, to bring it back to the Google question, why does Google not care around losing people? Now, if you compare Google to a traditional company, Google's growth in one year surpasses most companies. So Google is okay with the fact that for one year, I get a Garrett that's a rock star, gives up his best and goes on his merry way. Why is that? Is it possibly not true that the job they're doing is highly commoditized and there's a wealth of people that are starting to have commoditized skills? So something that defined you five years ago could be a commodity now and many other people could do that. Now what you're starting to see is you recognize that there will be a shift from uh, jobs that we do as humans to jobs that become commoditized. In the we economy, you're going know, to find organizations like these organizations will partner to deliver the outcomes. Right? Mm. Mm. So why should I become a journalist or, if you can do it better? Why should I do content editing if you can do it better? Why should I do finances if my core business is mining? right? Want to partner with the best finance person, the best payroll payroll organization, so you're going to start to see the work shifting, you're going to start to to see what we call virtual marketplaces. Mm. Now, I'll give you a very quick example, so Gareth bought a really nice piece of land and a really fancy estate, but he can't figure out, you know, what to do with it. He has a couple ideas, feng shui this, feng shui that, but he can't visualize it, right? now. If Fluby was an architect, she would say, Garrett, no worries, sign here 7% of your total value and I've got your back. But today, what you can do is go into a virtual marketplace, whether it's Whitmart or Kegel or many other places, like Money for Jam, for example. It's what we call a micro-jobbing platform. You can now tell Fluby and every other architect, I will pay you 8%, right? If you give me the house of my dreams. To get the work, you show me that you get my concept you get a hundred pitches today or tomorrow, you choose the best one, it may not work for you. Choose the second or third one and you pay once. That's the economy we're moving towards. It's a partner uh, ecosystem and most importantly, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is now 2.0. At the bottom of the hierarchy of needs is what? It's Wi-Fi. It's (laughs) connectivity, right?
1: (laughs) We're now in a connected world. He's turning in his grave right now.
4: (laughs) No, no, it's true. You Google it, Google it, right? (laughs) Maslow's hierarchy of needs is now at the bottom. It's connectivity. If we are now connected, I can do a lot more. I can now know that Cheryl gets the outcomes I want done. I don't need to see her. I know that she's writing a blog for me Mm -hmm. and the quality I want. I don't need to see you. That is why no one cares how we look the tattoos, the hairstyle. We're moving to an outcome Mm -hmm. economy. Yes!
0: Hey!
5: Love it! Um, you're glad you're time, here, right? time,
0: time, time, time. Yeah.
1: Questions? Well, we do have limited time. There is another question.
5: I have a question. Oh, I'm Joy. <laughs> different clients have different expectations. And mostly when you're in consultants, like you are, they want you to dress in a specific way the way you dress, not as a two woman, someone with threads and all that. Then how do you now accommodate that to the client? How then do you explain to them that no? They might dress in this way, but the most important thing is the output. Because especially when you go to those board meetings and you have to explain to them that, no, this is our output, but then someone who's dressed in a way that they don't even understand.
4: That's a great question, right? So it's a couple of things. One, when we consult with clients, we find out what their dress code policy is. Some of our clients use short pants to work. We don't allow short pants. So so in some cases, they're even more casual than we are. So it's important as the leadership to establish the common language of how we work with clients. The dress code, the tone. Some of our clients swear a lot, which I don't find necessarily cool. So figure out what those things are. Now, for certain clients, if I'm helping a client at a CEO level with a strategy, it requires a certain kind of, what we call a tone and mode of communication. Mm -hmm. I need to talk in a certain way to drive my relevance. However, some of the guys that work for me, don't need to be the same tone and mode of my communication. right? They can do it differently. In some cases, the really creative guys aren't the frontline guys that consult with clients and we have a safe space for them because no one cares where they sit. Some of the best outcomes I've got are people that I don't even met, right? In a different country. It's how I orchestrate the outcomes that the client wants by using what resources I have at my disposal, both locally as
1: well as virtually. So let me jump in you, because I think your environment lends itself to that. Maybe let's go a little bit more formal, because you guys, that's the the kind of
2: environments that you're working in. Yeah, I guess it's about pairing you up with a job that you connect with. If you are going to be meeting professionals face to face, you have to be matching that or mirroring that. Um, If that's not the job for you, there's many others. So it is about finding something that you connect with. Carolyn,
1: you always come with a nice angle, even on the show.
3: I mean, I like what I hear. I think pragmatically in other environments, so it sounds great. I think that in other environments, it is more structured and you are required to comply. I worked in an environment where there was a certain color that we had to wear. And I used to wear that color all the time, so it wasn't a problem until I got told I had to. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So I think it's just, again, intrinsic value, can you live with it or not? Mm. Can I I challenge
4: something, right? So the organization you work for, doesn't matter which one it is, it doesn't matter? It, It doesn't matter. The point is that you work for a large corporation. You're one of thousands of employees, right? If you left, they wouldn't really miss you. Yes? I've been quite direct with you. So here's my perspective, Ruby. I'd rather you be happy in what you do. And if you're not happy, because if you're going to dress the way you are and your environment doesn't allow it, maybe you should consider employment Mm -hmm. elsewhere. Because in the biggest scheme of things, in your own personal life, in your Mm -hmm. core values, those are more important than your organizations. Mm -hmm. Now, whichever the organization you are, remember, you put yourself first because you are replaceable like i am and these two definitely are right so <laughs> I'm do you, do you, How do you, pre- do you
1: appreciate um, the standards that are be honest right <laughs> no, very very good we love you lin i, I do like this idea mm-hmm. and we've said it time and time again in many of the conversations here of, of alignment there must be a values alignment there must be some kind of fit that really is unfortunately one more all, question. All the time one more have, one more
0: uh, I, I'm, I'm, like, one, one one. More. I'm enjoying this I don't know oh, say One, one. Okay. Okay, one is, more question is. Okay. Hi I'm Marna, Hi. Hello, Hi. Marna. Especially now with this Google, whole Google's
3: question Millennials stay a year in the job And then they move on yeah. Don't you guys think it is a problem How much can you learn within one year Isn't it better to work for a longer time Say five years at a, at a job And then move on I'm going to have a shot at it I think it depends on the role so the kind of roles that we're talking about where people can be replaced is a, a bordering on a commodity, I think your cycle is very short, okay? I think as you get uh, more complex, uh, then your cycles uh, lengthen, but as we were saying earlier as well in terms of generations, nobody stays with the company. You know, you stay somewhere for five years and somebody's gonna ask you that ambition. So we are seeing that those cycles are, I mean, they're getting faster, things are becoming more dynamic.
4: Can I, can I add to that, please? So, so one perspective, right? There is no time to take six months to a year to learn. Now, here's the interesting part. If you are part of that 47% that I mentioned earlier, you would say, hey Gareth, this movie sales Gareth, listen, I'm taking a year off to learn about mining, right? You don't need to do that anymore. We're in a world that's connected. Wi-Fi is at the bottom of our hierarchy of needs. There's something called a MOOC, M-O-O-C, a massive open online course. You can learn about design thinking, digital, data science, mining for free, gratis. So if you want to join a large organization or this organization or that organization, you can acquire the knowledge, assimilate it to be job ready on day one. Because we have an unemployment rate of 26.5%. If you aren't trying for that one job, right, somebody else will try harder.
1: Mm. Yeah? Okay, very, very nice. Very, thank you for the question. Wra-wra-wra- very good. We have to wrap up, unfortunately. Shall we do 10 seconds yes. from every guest? Yes. Y- who should we start with? Carolyn, do you mind if we start? And then we'll go Cheryl, Lee, sure. a final 10 seconds, and then Cluby,
0: her final 10 seconds. Your final 10 seconds. Yeah. I'll, I'll be left out. Yes. you are starting.
3: Yeah. I think, I mean, if it's 10 seconds, I think for me, and it's just coming back to the, the different points, it's around finding the space where you can be authentic, finding the space where you can make a contribution that's valued, and that there's opportunities for growth. The career is a long, is a long trajectory, and also we don't have to set our sights on for life. It's really, this is where I'm at, what is important to me and what makes sense.
1: Thank you, Carolyn.
2: Cheryl? Sure. Okay, so maybe just a closing thought from, from my side for employers to take back with them. I would not focus too much on the hygiene factors, make sure they're there, get them in place, get the box ticked off, and rather spend your focus on the more intrinsic motivators that motivate people internally. Mm, very, very nice, thank really. you for
4: bringing that balance. So I would say, using that example that I gave you earlier, figure out what you're passionate about, what you want to achieve in your life, in your career, Move away from a job mentality to a career-based mentality. Mm. In a career with a destination, there'll be ups and downs, lefts and rights. But keep your eye on that North Star and figure out what skills you need to build. To become job-relevant right now, it's easier than ever before, right? And my view is that forget about the corporation you work for. What do you want to achieve in your life by the time you retire? What will I say at your funeral about what you've achieved? And I won't talk
1: about your corporate job. I'll talk about your passion, your interest, your love, all those things. I think we've heard it. Eh? I think we've, we've got what makes a really, really good company really, really good. And it, it really comes down to people and the way that we're interacting, I, I, I think, for the most part. Forget the sleep pods. Or don't. <laughs> uh, Lee, if you got them, I'll sign your paper. But uh, thank you very much for being here. We really appreciate it. Thank you for your insights and input. Um,
0: yes, and a round of applause, to Yes. Our, so that's panel, Lee from please. Accenture, Carolyn from Anglo America, and Cheryl from PPS. Thank you for my future CEOs. Leader X 2016. By the
1: way, remember, up next, we, we're asking the question to MBA or not to MBA. Now there's some business schools here that the, the conversation we're about to have probably ruffled some of their feathers. But is it really worth spending 200,000 Rand on a master's degree?
0: This Future CEO's conversation is brought to you by Careers24. Careers24.com. Get a career you can be proud of.
1: Future CEOs on Cliffcentral.com.